The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And we've got another rock and roll hall of famer on DIJ today. I'm talking about journey guitarist and founding member, Neil Sean. Yeah, boy. And he has stories upon stories. He's talking about playing guitar in Carlos Santana's band while still in high school, how he met Herbie Herbert, the manager who helped Neil start journey. His first introduction to Steve Perry and how the two of them used to write songs back in the day, which was a Wednesday I quote Jack Slade on that one. And if you didn't know journey were the first big rock band to use giant screens in concert so that people way in the back or up high in stadiums could see them. Neil explains what inspired that idea and how it turned into a second business for journey. He's also setting the record straight on tour sponsorships because Journey were the first band to have corporate sponsors as well. And Neil says they got a lot of heat for it back in the 80s, even though it's a commonplace thing in 2018. Journey was the pioneer of that. Journey also pioneered the rock and roll video game. He's going to talk about that uh, <laughs> archaic uh, graphics on that one. Neil's also talking with Steve Perry's new solo record and how he feels about potentially playing and recording with Steve in the future. A great conversation with a true legend, a rock and roll Hall of Famer, coming up in just a second. But speaking of which, also coming up, thanks to everyone who's been rocking with all the gigs on the Judas Rising Tour with Fozzie. we got some good ones coming up. That was the segue. We're in St. Louis, Missouri tonight at Del Mar Hall. We're in Indianapolis on the 13th, which is tomorrow at the Vogue, Fort Wayne on the 14th at Pierre's, 15th Columbus, Ohio at the Newport Music Hall, 16th Cincinnati at Bogarts, uh, the 18th of September in Louisville at the Mercury Ballroom, the 19th is Charlotte at the Underground, the 20th Jacksonville, North Carolina at the Tar Heel Concert Lounge, 21st Huntington, West Virginia, a free show for Planet Fest at Riverfront Park, uh, Greenville, South Carolina at the Firmament, Lots more gigs coming up. Greensboro, North Carolina at the Blind Tiger. Lake Buena Vista, Orlando, Florida. House of Blues. Tampa, Florida at the Orpheum. Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the Culture Room. And then we're also doing the Rock Allegiance show main stage, Camden, New Jersey, October 6th. Go to FozzyRock.com for all ticket information and all VIP information. It's one of the best VIPs you could ever see. Go check out all the reviews online. We post every day on Instagram on the stories for Fozzy Rock, for I Am Jack Slade, for Chris Jericho Fozzy. Go check out and get a little taste of what it's like to have a mini concert played just for you. 
And then we meet you, we hang out, we answer your questions, all that great stuff. We're bringing the VIP also to Australia and New Zealand, although Melbourne and Sydney are sold out. But Auckland uh, at the studio, uh, you can get your tickets and VIP. Still tickets available for Melbourne at Max Watts on November 9th, which is my birthday. Auckland is uh, November 7th, by the way. November 10th, Sydney at Manning Bar. 13th, Adelaide at the Gov. 14th is Brisbane at the Triffid. And then we're hooking up with Three Days Grace for a few dates on their Canadian tour. Moncton at Casino New Brunswick on the 21st. 23rd is Halifax. 24th, Quebec City. 25th, Montreal. And then we take it all across Canada as we do the 26th in uh, Arnprior, which is Ottawa. 27, London, Ontario. 28, Toronto. November 30th is uh, Thunder Bay. December 1st, the Burton Cummings Theater in Winnipeg. December 2nd is uh, Regina. December 3rd is Edmonton, and we end the Judas Rising Tour, the last show of the entire tour cycle in Calgary at the Gateway. Once again, FozzyRock.com for all ticket information, including how to buy tickets for uh, Fozzy's legendary VIP meet-and-greet package. One of the best in the business. You will not regret it. It's going to be one of the greatest experiences of your life. And Neil Sean from Journey, one of the greatest Talk is Jericho episodes we've ever had, and it starts now, right here. All right, so we're here in the inner sanctum uh, of the Journey <laughs> dressing rooms with Neil Sean. And this is like, uh, there's drapes up on the wall, and it's very dark, and there's like, you know, uh, lights and candles. We're, we're, and- we're like, you know, it's a zen area before we play. Yeah. And and uh, it's nice and cool back here. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm enjoying. It's so freaking hot here, man. And, how, and playing, especially, I think, last... Well, you've been playing a lot of outdoor shows, too. Well, yeah, but I'm glad that we've been inside yes, for these in two Florida. Florida days so far. Yeah. But usually, like, I've seen you guys probably, I don't know, five or six times, and it's always at the, uh, the 1-800-ASK-GARY Amphitheater. That looks good on a t-shirt. But it's always outside, but now today... We're we're here in the arena is there a reason for that or is it just i think def leppard doesn't like playing you know the <laughs> hamburger hot dog stands <laughs> that's when we come you know the backyard like get togethers um, we've done so many of those and just you know it's it's a long summer man mm-hmm. when because it's so hot always and, right, and right, right. there's usually no ex- escaping you know the heat mm-hmm. and so i think that they they really it's there was their call to go into halls, you know, and I'm uh, or arenas, and I'm down with it, definitely. But, but there's been a lot of stadiums too, and you and I have been talking over text. It's funny because we're meeting face to face right now for the first time, right? But we've been talking on text for like a couple months now. Yeah, it's like the way of the world. Like we're text buddies, and now we're face to face. But <laughs> you've been talking about how these stadium shows have been jam packed, and how great those have been. You know, I actually think, um, you know, Irving. Azoff actually made the comment uh, after we had played about three stadium shows that they were doing better than the the arenas. Mm. And I was like, well, there you go. I mean, we're playing like hockey arenas. You know, a lot of them are cement and metal or tin. And, you know, depending if they've been brought up to date sound wise, it's it's hard to get good sound. Mm -hmm. And it's usually like the louder you play, the worse they sound. And and so I said we sound both sound better outside, uh-huh. you know. I mean, Journey, we built our music for stadiums, mm. you know, the tempos, the actual songs. We built them to fit the that anthems. Size. 
yeah. anthemic songs, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because I saw Guns N' Roses a couple years ago in a stadium. And then as soon as I heard Metallica was going to go out, I was like, I know Lars, yeah. he's going to want to do a stadium too. And they sold out stadiums. And then Journey and Def Leppard, because a lot of people were like, I know you guys did Atlanta, the same place where Metallica, that sold out. So you know what? Rock is not dead. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's true, right? That's, I think that's the point that we're all making. And it really has nothing to do with radio right now, because there really isn't that much radio. Mm. You know? So, I mean, it's about playing live. We've always, like, you know, done the grind. We're doing it every year. We, I mean, we barely ever take a year off or take some time off even to record or whatever, you know? It's like, mm. and so I think that that definitely is what keeps your brand alive mm -hmm. and you alive is the people seeing you right. like every year and consistently and not, you know, like, okay, we're going to take, you know, we're not going to tour for five years or, you know, right, right, right. 10 yeah. and then come back, you know? I mean, it's like people forget really really quick and the audiences our audience is like very mixed you know age-wise is what we've been seeing and i usually see more of it when we're playing by ourselves, you know and i'm not saying a duff leopard doesn't have a young audience too because they do and they they usually you know are selling us in women's t-shirts and so <laughs> but that's supposed to go along with their whole thing you know forever but we're having fun out here, man, and, and keeping things alive. But it's interesting what you said. So my son is 15, and he jammed out because he ended up going to hang out with his friends. But when this gig was first announced five months ago, he texted me, Dad, we got to go see this show, Def Leppard and Journey. This is great. And this is a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. So it's interesting to me when you say that there's a lot of younger kids, because there really is. I've seen this. Why do you think that is in this day and age that 15-year-olds are, are excited about a Journey gig? You know, I think that it's it's because there's a lack of really decent, older, classic rock, new, cla there is no new mm -hmm. classic rock, you know, and I think they want to live, relive, I think kids want to see Woodstock again, you know, I mean, I remember talking to management about um, doing open festivals uh, before they started doing Coachella. And one like of back them, in the 80s or something or um, when did Coachella start? Like, I don't think it was in the 80s. It was just like pretty recent, or like 2000 or whatever. Right. Seven, eight years. Gotcha. Ago, gotcha. Right. And they started bringing that whole thing back, like um, the big outside festival that goes on for three days or two days, whatever it is. And I was talking to them about that. And I said, you know, we would just absolutely kill. I feel if we did like a journey festival. And brought like all classic rock acts, mm -hmm. mixed it up a little bit, but you know, kept it pretty much in that vein and carried it out for three days. And one of them in particular said, Oh, that's never gonna fly, man. That's not gonna happen. It's not gonna be big. And nobody's gonna go to that. <laughs> and right. so, lo and behold, like, you know, three years later, he finally went to one. And I said, I think he forgot what he told me. And I said, so so what did you think? And he said, oh, I loved it. It was so awesome, man. And I was like right. thinking to myself, you know, it, it, it's weird, but I always sort of have a perception about where things are kind of going. I can mm -hmm. sort of feel it after being, you know, in the industry for so long and starting so young and watching. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of like a cycle, you know, like it, to me, it's almost like every, you know, decade, Every 10 years, everything kind of goes 
back to the beginning again. And I see it in clothing with music, but the whole thing, you know, but I see the clothing thing hanging more in there, like in the 70s, like late 60s and 70s now for quite some time. And it hasn't really drifted. I mean, you're seeing more glissy stuff mm -hmm. right now that's more like 80s type mm -hmm. stuff. Right, right. But the 70s thing, man, is still like really strong out there. And I always coincide both of them. And I think that people are dying to hear people that can really play, you know, like the early Zep stuff and, and people that stretch out live, you know. It's interesting, too, when you're talking about a band like Journey and, and, and the kind of when you guys came to the forefront with the foreigners and sticks and, and, and all those bands, everybody sang. That's one thing I noticed. Everybody sang in the bands or if, if, if you don't sing, it's cause you're soloing, but there was so many three and four part harmonies within the bands. That's almost a lost art in this day and age. It is pretty much. And yeah. it's been for a long time. Yeah. It's something, you know, uh, when, when, when Steve Perry came in the band, mm -hmm. I mean, all of a sudden there was zillions of vocals, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and Roy Thomas Baker, you know, was, uh, the first producer we used when Steve came in, uh, when we, you know, wrote the infinity record. And for me, that was like an alien ship, you know, when we first started doing that, because I was so really into, like the Santana type stuff and Stanley Clark and, you know, really progressive fusion mm -hmm. jazz, you know, I was studying a lot of jazz and stuff like that. And I was really my, that's where my head was at. And so when our manager at that time, Herbie Herbert mm -hmm. said, uh, we were, we were selling more tickets all the time, you know, but our records were declining and we were selling less and less records than, you know, the first record that we ever put out. And, uh, you know, so Columbia at that time, that's now Sony, they were saying, we're going to drop you unless you get enough vo uh, vocalist and focal point to the band and need a front to take man. A, yeah, front man. And need to get a new direction, you know, mo more vo vocally oriented and radio friendly. Mm. And I was like, for all you know, we're kind of looking at each other and going, I don't know about this, man, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, it's a funny story, but I had met uh, Steve years ago from a friend of mine that had discovered me when I was a kid and living down in the peninsula from uh, San Francisco and San Mateo. His name was Jackie Villanueva. The two Villanueva brothers worked in the Santana crew. Well, I was working in this guy's studio down in, in uh, San Mateo, first studio I was ever in, and Santana had just cut their first record in there, very first Santana mm -hmm. record. So Jackie came in and he heard me playing. I was just like, you know, I don't know, 14 or something, playing in the corner, had my like Fender amp turned down to the floor with a pillow over the back, <laughs> cranked to 10, you know? And I was in there practicing and the guy, at the time he was trying to sign me up for life uh, Paul Curcio and, and uh, my father was a musician, a jazz musician, and I wanted to do it because he was like, man, you can have like all these cars and clothes and amps, Chicks. as many amps as you want. <laughs> and my dad took a look at the contract and it was like for life, you know, and he goes, mm -hmm. no, I'm not signing it. And so I was so pissed off at the time and then I had to later thank him because it was really, really a terrible <laughs> deal. But Jackie, the good thing that came out of it is I met Jackie. 
Jackie started picking me up uh, down in the peninsula and taking me up to the city and introducing me to like all the club owners. This city would be San Francisco? Right. Gotcha. Yeah, like um, the El Matador where they had jazz all the time. Up and down Broadway, there was like all kinds of blues clubs, jazz clubs, uh, dance clubs, but there was always live music. And so he took me in to uh, meet all these owners and they allowed me to come in even though I was very underage and they were all like legal bars you know you had to be legal and old enough to get in and this made me stay in the basement and said you know you stay down here and you can go up and play and then you come back down here and you go out the back door (laughs) and so Jackie then introduced me to Elvin Bishop you know and he took fooled around and fell in love Yes, That's the song, exactly. right? Fooled around and failed. Exactly. Before he was, you know, had Mickey Thomas and did that, that great tune, he um, had an, just an ass-kicking blues band, an oh. R&B blues band. And they, they played, you know, uh, in Michael Bloomfield's old club in the city. And when Michael passed, Elvin took over, you know. And so Jackie knew him, and Jackie introduced me to Elvin. Elvin kind of took me under his wing and there was like a, a guitar shoot off every Tuesday and Thursday night where guys would fly in from all over the States. Right. Most of them were much older than I, and I kind of held down the title for a long time. So as rewarding me after playing for about, you know, two months, he says, we're going to go to the Fillmore West and we're going to go see BB tonight. We're going to go see BB King. And we're going to sit in, I'm going to introduce you. And, and so we, we went and we took off and, you know, I met BB backstage and he was very, very kind. And you're just like 15 year old kid. Yeah. 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 And uh, that was the first like big place that I played was the Fillmore West Mm. uh, when it was on Market Street, the original one. And so Bill Graham was there that night too. Famous promoter. Yeah. And so I met Bill and. Went on stage and and I was far left, my far left, and BB was like far right, and so he decided to see what I had, you know. And I had studied him and Albert King and Buddy Guy and Muddy Waters and and you know then all the you know English guys that were doing a you know the very electric blues like Clapton and Page and and Hendrix and and Jeff Beck. And sort of I mixed all that stuff together, but I studied BB's vibrato and all that, you know, his choice of notes and how to hit the string and how not to. And and so he would play a lick at me very sparingly, like he always did with a lot of space. And so instead of having a burn off, because I've seen him jam with, with younger guys before, and they always tried to shred him, you know, and it was like... The wrong thing to yeah. do, man. Because he would look at you like I, I saw him look at a lot of younger, you know, guitar players like you f-ing idiot. What are you doing? <laughs> you know. And so I said, this is going to be totally out of respect and showing him that that you know I learned my stuff by you know appreciating what he did. And so I would shoot him back his own thing, you know, mm-hmm. and and the same lick. And then he looked over and he started smiling. And we had a whole conversation going on, just with a guitar on stage. And then we played together many times after that and uh, had some really good times. 
Yeah, like you said, because a lot of times it's not what you play, it's what you don't play, especially with guys you like know, that. That's still like the hardest thing for me to do because mm. I like to play. And, and I you like, can. You can shred anybody. Yeah, that's yeah. the problem, though, you know? I mean, most guitar players like myself that have been playing for so long, you know, you get very, like, your dexterity gets better and better. And, you know, I never stop learning or practicing things that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Even though I'll probably never have any use for them. It's just something that drives you inside. You want to do that. And so, you know, I have like ultimate respect for guys like Jeff Beck. Now, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, one of the survivors from that whole era yeah. that is still taking it to a new plateau mm -hmm. every year. And that's so true for his playing. I mean, everything he plays is amazing, but what he doesn't, players makes so secret, that yeah. stuff so strong i uh had the uh fortune of meeting keith richards a couple of years ago and i'd seen a gig that he did with gary clark jr yeah. and john mayer and uh and ronnie wood it was i'm going down i think it's albert king i'm going down yeah down, yeah, bound, yeah yeah bound. that's albert and everyone's soloing and you know gary clark and and john mayer is no joke and mayor's a badass woody on the on the freaking slide and keith came up there and he's went bam and it was like the most genius two notes I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I asked him about it. I was like, like, you did that. He goes, everyone was playing so busy. I figured I'd just pick one note and stick with it. I just had to make sure it was the right note. But it's like, makes <laughs> <laughs> it's just the right note, But it's like, it's, that's true blues guitar playing. Yes, you can shred or play one note and just hold it and f*** yeah, off, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that is always where Keith has come from Yeah. Uh, when I've listened to their stuff. And, you know, crazy enough, man, but I think actually the Stones have never sounded better than they do now. Now? Yeah, I've seen them for years. Yes. You know, I went to see him years ago in San Francisco when Winterland was open. I mean, that was one of Journey's first big gigs we played new year's eve at winterland <laughs> was our first show ever what year uh it was the ending of 72 wow and so we played that night uh someone else headlined so it was like you know it hit midnight when they were on stage but we we played early we got off we got onto a plane and we flew to hawaii where we played New Year's Day at the Crater Festival. And, um, you know, I saw Stones with, with uh, uh, they had Mick Taylor at the time. And I was actually playing with Larry Graham at the time, of all people, you know, from Sly. I was playing with Gregorico on drums and Larry Graham. And we had like a, a power funk rockin' trio. And Larry was singing lead vocals uh -huh. with his baritone voice. Wow. And it was really unique. And then he got cold feet after a while and he backed out and he wanted to do like a straightforward R&B funk thing, which was Graham Central Station. Mm -hmm. And so Greg split after a while. He got bored. I stuck it out for a bit. And I learned to play a bunch of like funk rhythm from Freddie Stone from hanging out in Oakland with those guys and having him rip the guitar out of my hands. No, man, it goes like this, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so I learned a bunch of chops and then I took off, too. But, you know, good times. And Mick Taylor, Larry loved. He thought Mick Taylor sounded really great. And so did I. I've always been a fan of Mick Taylor. But Stevie Wonder also played that night. 
So he was there to see Stevie. So mm-hmm. was I. And I, you know, all in all, Mick Taylor was very good. And the Stones were good, but I think they're better now. Yeah, well, you're also dealing with guys like we talked about last night that were probably so high at all times. Like the Stones from oh, 69 to complete. 75, which was McTaylor's years. Mm-hmm. I think Taylor said he had to quit because he was scared he was going to die of drugs. <laughs> so it's like when you got to quit for that. Oh, yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let me ask you a question about, I, I know you mentioned Santana. I know you started with Santana as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, and you got a chance to play with him again recently. How much of a learning experience was it playing with him? Because obviously his style is unlike any other that we've ever seen. Yeah. Is it rock? Is it Mexican? Is it Latino? Is it funk? What is it? It's, it's definitely Carlos, you know? Yeah, it's Carlos, exactly. You know, it as soon as you hear one note, you know it's Carlos. And so that's a blessing. You know, something that he's taken with him, something he developed, and something he had from the very get-go. Because mm-hmm. I remember seeing, uh, when I lived uh, down in San Mateo with my folks, still when I was still in junior high school, just getting into high school, I went up and I saw Santana play at the college there, yeah. up on a hill one night. And I didn't know who the hell they were. And it was in a gymnasium. It was really terrible sounding you know very echoed out and they had a lot going on percussion wise so i didn't quite know what to think the first time i saw him i was like wow that's some really crazy different (laughs) music and then i saw him like another year later at the avalon ballroom you know and they were playing with the dead and you know at that time i really wasn't a, a dead fan either i was you know but i went to check it out because I'd never seen that scene, and uh, they sounded really, really great that night. And I hadn't yet met him at all. And I just remember, I started listening to Carlos and the band, and I was like, wow, these guys are really, really musical. You know, and Carlos had such a unique style, it was really hard even to emulate it. Mm -hmm. You know, where I could emulate other blues cats, he was in his own world. And, you know, sort of came up with his own style and choice of notes and rhythm patterns that he played, you know, very, very unique because he he's got such a repertoire of of world music. I love hanging with him because it's nonstop, Hmm. 24-7. Check this out. Check this out. This is from Africa. This is from here. This is from here. This is from here. All over the world. And it's like... It's endless. It doesn't matter how many hours I spend with the guy or how many days. And so I love Carlos. And to this day, I mean, I love hanging out with him, you know, and we're, we're tighter now than we ever been. And how how do you play with him? If you're in Santana and obviously he's based around Carlos and his style, how do you as, as a player kind of mesh with that? 
Well, luckily enough, I had a different style. You know, when I first uh, played on that Santana record, I was doing this really speeded up English blues thing. You know, it's like all the Clapton and Page and Beck and Hendrix licks. And I kind of mixed all my favorite licks together. And that kind of became my style at the time with a wah-wah pedal, you know? Wow. Okay. And that was that late 60s, early 70s types, types, not a lot of wah-wahs at that point? No. And I started using a wah-wah, you know, right at the beginning when I got one. And it wasn't really to do a wah-wah effect like everybody else was. I, I appreciated, you know, I loved the way Clapton used it in Cream, you know, where it White was like room. a lot of it sound like it was going backwards. Mm. But he had also like a unique sound where he rolled off the tone on on the guitar and it made it, you know, it wasn't quite like a wah-wah. It was like wow-wow, you know, and it made this different sound. And Clapton played all the cross rhythms against Ginger Baker's playing, you know, African rhythms <laughs> and fused out, right. you know, and Jack Bruce. Jack Bruce's jazz bass. Yeah. I mean, I love that band. Yeah. And so I started using a Wawa as a filter where when I was cranking, I found like, and I was really trying to spit out a lot of notes accurately. I found that if I stepped on the Wawa and I found the right, you know, frequency, like kind of like Michael Shankter did, like, you know, uh, and UFO years back, mm-hmm. he would set that wah-wah and he kind of like left him in a position with the V and he kind of just sat out there and wailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you get in the position with the wah it's like all of a sudden the faster picking and stuff you're trying to do without it, it comes out mm. and it's really accurate. And so I discovered that and that became my sound. You know, and then I ended up playing like I, you know, uh, the third record that I was on went number one, you know, and the Santana's a journey, Santana, Santana, uh, Santana three record. And, uh, the, the song that I played lead on was the hit single off the record. It was, you know, everybody's everything with tower of power horn section. And so that's completely where that's (laughs) coming from. I remember being in the studio, and I think Clive was in there, Clive Davis, yep. and all the Tower guys. And I went out, and we had cut a rhythm track, and then it was time to go solo. And I looked around, and I saw these guys, that go, oh, man, I better make this good, otherwise I'm never going to end <laughs> up on this dance, record. Yeah. And so I did one take, and that was what was on the record, you know? And um, it was that concept, though, with a wah-wah. And, you know, old P90s, I just now got another Les Paul from Gibson because they reissued, you know, 1968 gold top Les Pauls with P90s. Now, the P90s is it the are the pickup? ones. Or is yeah. It? Okay. They're single coil pickups, and they're the ones that sound amazing with a Wawa because mm. they're cleaner. And they don't have the high highs that a humbucker has or low lows. It's all kind of even. Right, 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 right. And when you put it through a Wawa, everything just kind of stays in this frequency. Even though it's going high and low, it stays like really even. I've, and I discovered that. So I've, I just got another one, a reissue, and it's very similar to the one that I had that I kind of messed up. 
I stuck different pickups in it. You <laughs> Frankenstein it, right? Yeah, yeah I did Frankenstein it a bit, and then took it, tried to bring it back. You know, had right. the holes refilled, but it, it never quite came back. So. I finally replaced that guitar. Let me ask you a question about, um, briefly, you mentioned Bill Graham. And I think a lot of newer rock fans don't realize, A, what a character he was, and B, the influence that Bill Graham had to a band uh, back in those days. Bill Graham was really, he was responsible for breaking Santana at Woodstock. Were you at Woodstock? No, I wasn't okay, at I was Woodstock. A lot of people get that confused. Um, I met the band after they like busted wide open after Woodstock. And uh, they were in the studio at the time uh, when Jackie introduced me to them mm. all. And that's where I actually met my first manager, too, Herbie, Herbie, Herbie Herbert. Yeah. Famous found, guy, by the way. I yeah. just found a picture the other day <laughs> on the internet where... Uh, it's Carlos and Michael Bloomfield on the stage, right? And there Herbie is, man, reaching behind Carlos's twin, trying to get something fixed. And <laughs> and nobody knows that, but you know He's he was he was my he became my guitar tech and Carlos's when I joined Santana. And then when that band disbanded after we did the fourth record, Caravan Sarai, then Herbie approached me. And he wanted to start a management company. And he says, I want to be a manager. I want to be your manager. And I want to build a band around you uh, as a guitarist. And that was the beginning of the journey. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about, you know, getting Steve Perry back in 77 or whatever it was, because you can see the real shift between like the Rubicon days of where it's more just kind of fusion is proggy and it's all over like this great musicianship. And then much like Fleetwood Mac, I really there's a comparison between Journey and Fleetwood Mac in that you get a new guy and it changes the whole style of the band, well, which takes it to the next level. We went from being, you know, I mean, Greg was our lead singer back mm -hmm. then, Raleigh. And but we were a jam band. We yeah, were like right. known as the jam band in San Francisco. Right. There was like the dead, you know, on steroids, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we were like way fused out for those days. And, you know, I loved uh, John McLaughlin and my Vishnu Orchestra, that whole thing. I would follow <laughs> them around and see them play. And then uh, eventually I met Jan Hammer, yeah. where I ended up doing Records with him opening up for Jeff Beck and Jan Hammer. You did a bunch of records with, with him, didn't you, with Jan Hammer? I did yeah. two, two full albums with him, and now he's a special guest on solo records that I've done, uh, the last two. Have you ever seen, just a quick segue, the Jan Hammer, Eddie Van Halen jam at that one? I have. Dude, that is some shit. Yes, yeah. Van Halen yeah. holding oh, on man. for dear life, showing what he can do. I'm telling you what, yeah. man. And and Jan was equally impressed with that. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. Jan will make you play man <laughs> you have to play man i mean it and that was one of the things i loved about him you know i mean when i saw i saw the beginning of my vishnu orchestra and carlos took me to see him of all people again we're in winterland again and i'm drunk as a skunk i swear <laughs> to god i could barely talk i could walk barely walk and i was inebriated like beyond belief and i i showed up there and Carlos goes, come here. And we went up on stage. And Mavishnu Orchestra was opening up for Emerson, Lake, and Palmer that night. Okay? At Winterland. The place is packed. 
sold to the brim. And they started playing, and Carlos and I were standing uh, in back of Billy Cobham, okay? And he started playing, and I swear to God, my hairs are standing up right now, <laughs> but I became sober in, like, within a minute. Mm. The music was so intense yeah. that it just completely took the alcohol out of my system, <laughs> and I was, like, mind-boggled <laughs> by what they were doing energy-wise. Mm. And to sit right, you know, in the throne, in the back of Billy, you know, and listen to everything surrounding it. I mean, that's the place to stand. It's right, we're like almost right back where the drummer right. sits. Yeah, yeah. Because you hear everything. And, you know, at that time, McLaughlin, he, he was like, there's no time I've ever seen him that he didn't sound completely amazing. And I know Jeff Beck loves him the same way I do. And that's what Jeff and I always had in common, where we, we both loved John McLaughlin and we loved Jan Hammer. Before anybody knew who Jan Hammer was, I was listening to Jan while Jeff was listening to Jan. Mm. And you can hear a lot of Jan's influence in Jeff. And, you know, me too, at different time periods. And I try to get away from it because I don't want to sound <laughs> like Jeff or, you know, <laughs> you know. And so you had to, like, kind of, you know, make some new ground for yourself. But, um, so how was it when you first got, we were talking about Steve coming in the band and kind of changing the, the style of the, of journey in a lot of ways. When he came in, it was like, uh, it was, I, I liked him a lot, you mm -hmm. know, cause we, we just met as a dude, just as a guy. Yeah. Yeah. I met him. I was started to tell you back, I get on these, yes, I forget, I forget there's so much that's going on in my life. You yeah. know, I start telling a story <laughs> and I forgot where I started, yeah, but so right. just bring me back to point A again <laughs> and I'll, I'll recall it and I'll go there. But, um, Jackie Villanueva, I was after Santana disbanded and after I had played with Larry Graham and I didn't know what I wanted to do. There was another Latin band that came out for like about, uh, two seconds and it was called Azteca. And there was, I don't of know, course. I think 30 people in this band, <laughs> way too many to ever try to organize. And there was like so much drugs and so much going on that it, it was just like a mess all right. the time. But I played one show with them at the Kabuki Theater in San Francisco. And that night, Jackie, after I got done playing, asked me to give his cousin's friend a ride to his car. And it was Perry. I didn't know that he was a singer. Wow. I didn't know what he did. And I said, sure, Jackie, I'll give him a ride. So I took him in the car, drove him to his car. And he says, you know, you know, I sing a little bit. And, and I just never thought anything about it. About two years later, we're still out there trying to, you know, to climb up the ladder <laughs> to where we're not starving every year and, and absolutely working 12 months out of every mm -hmm. year. For the first three years, it was brutal. To make nothing. Yeah. Brutal, man. Made nothing and just worked ourselves into the ground. And so we were playing in the middle of those first three years. We went down, I believe, to play the Roxy in L.A. And, and Steve came backstage again. And he was like, I remember me. You know, you gave me a ride. And I go, oh, yeah. Yeah, and he goes, yeah, well, I'm a singer. And I, at this time, I still go, yeah, we don't need a singer. And we got Greg Raleigh. <laughs> and so I know if you ever do an interview with him, ask him about it, because it's really funny, man. And then as after the third year of us busting our asses out there and trying to get things going on, Columbia went to Herbie and said, 
you know, you need a new vocalist and 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 to try to get on the radio. Otherwise, we're going to drop you. So that was it. Herbie made a decision who we were getting, what we were doing. And, so you know, he orchestrated all that. I had to give him credit for it. Wow. He, you know, at the time, I don't think that I had any clue what Steve Perry was capable of doing. And neither did anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, all Greg and I knew is that it didn't quite we didn't get it. You know, when we listened to his demo, really? he, had a, yeah. he had a great voice, but we didn't get it for us where we were at. Mm -hmm. So what, what we weren't understanding is that was no longer going to be us. <laughs> and we're changing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Steve came out on tour. I believe we were in Denver, Colorado, just to hang out while we were still playing as the original Journey. And I had an acoustic guitar in a room and, and I had these chords, you know, and I started playing them and it was like patiently. You know, I had that like in my head for a couple of years, but didn't really have any place to use it. Just the riff and the chorus. Basically. Yeah, I had all the chords and he started singing. He started writing down lyrics. And before he knew it, we had a tune and I go, wow, it sounds pretty good, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, then, you know, Herbie and, and all of us made decision to bring him aboard because he had a band and he was getting signed uh, to Sony or CBS at that time. Alien Project and his bass player apparently got killed in a car crash mm. and they didn't feel like going on after that he must have been like one of the main guys you know that wrote or, or with, with Steve or I really don't know the story that well but Columbia shot her manager Herbie at the time uh, cassette tape of Steve with their demo tape and um Herbie was convinced at that point, and so was CBS convinced, uh, that he should be our singer. They said, this guy is, like, incredible. And his band, it's not, it's they not can't go on band. now. And so he made a decision. And so we immediately started writing. Um, you know, we had tried another singer out for a bit, Robert Fleischman. Who ended up being in the Vinnie Vincent invasion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And Rob, Robert, you know, was a very talented songwriter. I mean, I, I wrote, you know, Wheel in the Sky with him. Oh, okay. Winds of March. Um, he was very musical, great lyricist, and great melody. He had more of a screaming type voice, which I kind of liked back then. Herbie hated it. And, <laughs> and so that was that because he was kind of very controlling about what we were going to do. And, you know, he did really well. So nobody complained after that. It's cool. That he had a guy with a, with a vision for what he wanted from you guys. He did have right. a vision yeah. and it was the right vision. And thank God it was, you know, completely. I grew up in Winnipeg, Canada, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, up in the middle of nowhere. And I still vividly remember 92 City FM, 1981, the Escape Tour, Journeys in Town. I just remember the fever. Like, I was a 10-year-old kid, but just, and I knew rock and roll, but just everybody was like, Journey, Journey's in town. We got Journey here. Journey's live in the studio. Like, you guys were the band at that time. There was you nobody know, bigger. It was, it was um, a very, very fruitful, interesting mix. Mm. always you know with the musicianship that we had in the band 
and in many different places we could go um, musically. And I think it was something back in those days that critics hated about us because they couldn't pinpoint us. Right. You know, like ACDC had that bad ass thing. They did. <laughs> you know, the four on the floor or, you know. Well, sure. And, and you know, hypnotic and just unbelievable, you know, energy, you know. Um, and we didn't have that. We had, you know, so many different colors that we were finding in a band and things that we were capable of doing. But what we initially started doing with Steve was very, very melodic mm -hmm. and not really that heavy mm -hmm. at all. I mean, like Lights was the second song I wrote with him. And it just popped out. He had a bass on. He was a drummer, oh. a singing drummer, Steve. But he also played bass really well. And so he was playing like kind of an R&B, you know. When the lights go down in a city. And he was doom, 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 doom. Yeah. Kind of like a stumble, you know. And I heard it and I go, what if we do this, you know? And I kind of took some of my Hendrix influence and I wrapped the chords around it and came up with the intro and did the different chording, gave it more of a, a waltz, like, mm, you know, like yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of stumble thing. Yeah. Uh, older, like 50s kind of thing. And then um, came up with the bridge in which I sold it over and then he sang the bridge over. And that was a song, you know? And we came up with it like in... I don't know, half an hour. Yeah. And so d at that point, I knew we were on a roll. So everything that we sort of sat down to do, he actually taught me to be uh, a songwriter for a vocalist. Mm. Interesting. When you work together like that, too, you know what each other does best as well, right? Right. Um, I wanted to talk about something that's also very funny. I, you've probably never, never talked about this. Let's talk about the Journey video game. The stand-up I hated it, man. <laughs> I really, I was one that really hated it. I thought it was really like. But, but look, this is how big you, you guys were that you had, they had their own video game, not a pinball machine. I'm talking, you put a quarter in and like the journey escape comes up and it's each guy's face on like a little guy, like a little like bug, bug or something that has to go do tasks. It was, you know, it was Herbie again. It was his <laughs> concept and Herbie, God bless him. He was, um. An innovator mm -hmm. in every right. We were the first band to ever use the large screens, which you're about to see oh, tonight. Okay, you mean like and the big, like the yeah, LED screens? Because or whatever, yeah. we were playing stadiums, right? I remember, yeah. And he wanted to figure out a way to make it more intimate for the people way in the back so we didn't look like ants mm -hmm. on stage. So, he came up with the concept, and I'm not going to say he made it up because later, many years later, after he told me he made it up, I saw an old Elvis Presley thing from Vegas, and Elvis had a big screen. Screen, yeah. and so I think that's probably where it was, you know, initially come up where with. It came but from it. they started putting it on both sides, like they still do now, with nothing in the back. You know, it was usually a backdrop of whatever your artwork was for the record. I sold a lot of T-shirts because of that. Yeah, not a bad thing. Yeah, and and video on both sides by the PA, or covered the PA, which is you know a screen that was you know the sound could go through. And um, at that point, we started a company, Nocturne, and that was we were the video company. We did everybody. We did the Stones. We did Madonna. We did 
uh, so, you name it. So let me say, you started your own company to do your own video and then also lease that out to other bands. Right. Smart. Right. Very well, smart. it was smart, but it was also like an endless hole, man. <laughs> it's like because once we did, once we established the company, and we were the only ones that were doing it, naturally, you're going to have your competitors that come, and they're going to have the newer equipment, right? And then they're going to, you know, underbid you, right? Just to get the business, not to necessarily make money, but they want the business, and they want to show everybody that they're the new. Latest and greatest. And because it is, all the equipment, millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment that we bought would be like, you know, obsolete yeah. within one year. Good and point. so we're always having these meetings. You have to replace all the equipment. You have to sell off your other stuff. I'm like, who, who's going to buy the old shit, yeah, man? That's right. I'm like, it's come on, man. Already. And so like. to buy this iPhone too? We were all partners and then, you know, the rest of the guys in the band decided they wanted out. Mm. And I chose to stay in for a second longer with Herbie. And then it was just him and I. And then, you know, things got very, very twisted up. And as business does. Right. And different people get involved in shit happens. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, and so I decided to get out and, um, you know, a good a friend at the time, Irving Azov, helped me get out of it. Yeah. So just a quick quick back to the video game. When you, when you first saw it, did you like play it and go, what is this? What I, I thought it was like the hokiest, corniest shit I had ever seen. Oh, it is, but it's so awesome for the time, right? But, but it also was the first time it had ever been done right. with any band. So I'm going to tell you one other thing. That he did that we were the first at that Rolling Stone used to jab at us about saying that we were like businessmen in zoot suits because Herbie liked to talk a lot mm -hmm. about how much money we were making or most other managers never did that or they Should weren't they? A, yeah. allowed to. Okay, so when he got an interview with the Rolling Stone, it was me, me, myself and I. You know, I did it all. And then <laughs> let me tell you what I did. And and so we were the first band ever to, to have a sponsorship, ever. Really? And it was with Budweiser. Wow. Of all, all things. And um, we got, if you go back, you can look way back to the beginning when we started with Perry after Infinity was released. And Rolling Stone was like burning on us, like terribly just saying, Oh, sponsorship. This is just, these guys are like zoot suit, you know, they're businessmen in zoot suits and this and that. And who knew that, like in this day and age now, if you don't have a sponsorship, everybody goes, you're not happening. What it's are you doing? It's the way it is, you know? right. And you were the first. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what else you were the first at is when you first brought Arnell into the band. And this was kind of like Journey Comes Back and you have a couple singers and you're like the first guy to go on YouTube, this is commonplace now. Stone Temple Pilots has done it. Queen has done it. You did it first. I mean, how was that for you at first to kind of be like, were you kind of at the wit's end and trying to find a singer? Or? I was not. We had gone through the experience before when when uh, Randy Jackson and uh, Dog. Looking for a Drummer came in. 
for it. Yeah, dog. Oh. Hey, dog. Yeah. So Randy Jackson from American Idol was in uh, right. Journey, in case you don't know. Raised on radio record, yes. and Steve was producing, and he wanted to get a different sound on the rhythm section. So we were auditioning, you know, when, we, when it came time after the record was, excuse me, recorded. <laughs> I'm only human people. <laughs> Lucky it wasn't coming out of the other end. <laughs> Neil Sean burps, ladies and gentlemen. He's not just an amazing guitar player. Uh, anyway, we, we, you know, we're looking for who we're going to go out with on tour because we used a few different people. And it really looks like Larry London played drums and he was a friend, you know, of Steve's and, and Steve loved his drumming. Randy Jackson, of course, we all knew. And he was from Bay Area uh, and he played. And then Steve brought in Bob Glob too to play some bass. And I'd never met him before, but I guess he was like a session guy in LA. Did you say Bob Glob? I, think, I believe so. Bob Glob. I might have bass. to go look at the record again. <laughs> All Journey aficionados, Bob Glob. Maybe it was play? Bob Gob. <laughs> One of those two. I, I don't remember. Close enough. To tell you the truth. We got it. They were induced years, and I just can't remember. <laughs> uh, so you brought these guys in. We You're brought these guys in, and it was a long process and a very expensive process. Mm -hmm. We tried, you know, I, I don't know, 20 drummers and, and a lot of bass players. And um, I wasn't looking forward to doing that again. Mm -hmm. And so... I wasn't really into the internet at all. And I just decided I had, the thing that I liked about YouTube is that there was a lot of people that was, they knew we were looking for a singer and they'd send you a package in the mail, right? Where you don't know if it's been pro tooled, you know, most likely, likely yes, right, 100%. So, you know, I mean, they can make me sound perfect Anybody in Pro Tools singing yeah. anything. You know, so, I mean, I liked YouTube because it was live, live. And usually it was just like off a little cell phone You could camera. watch someone at a club getting filmed on an iPhone. Right. Right. And that's when, you know, I looked for close to two days nonstop. And what did you Google? I Googled, um, first I started out with uh, male uh, R&B rock singers. Because that's kind of what we were. Yeah. You know, it so was Steve it was, is. It was a rock band, but Steve had tremendous R&B yes. instilled yes, yes, yes. in his body, yeah. you know, and soul. And so he had a lot of soul. And so just any rock singer was going to sound very like white bread. And so I went looking and I found some, I found some cats in England, believe it or not. That were that sounded amazing because you know R and B has always been so big yeah. over in the UK, yeah. uh, but they were singing on top of very light tracks. You know, there wasn't any heavy guitars, there wasn't any giant drums, and really to sing in this band journey, you need to be like bionic, mm. like lung wise, and have a lot of voice coming out to be able to sit on top of it. Uh, it's not an easy ride. It's not an easy R and B ride. That's mm. that's smooth and silky and it's cool, but that just wouldn't work. And so, I looked and looked, and I found guys that were very talented, and I just was coming up with nothing. And then I was I was looking more and more and more, and then I saw something popped up that was attached to another 
you know, Link, link yeah. uh, from somewhere. And I was just, you know, I was like, I don't even know anything about the internet at this point. I'm just like pressing things. Two going, days later. I wonder yeah. what this thing does. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, I pressed on this link of a guy named Arnel Pineda. And it was a Survivor song. And I go, well, yeah, they had some pretty hard stuff to sing. And so, like, just, I was like, kind of like, man, I give up. And I go, bing, and I press the button. And I heard this tenor voice pop out, you know, that was really, like, pretty amazing. And I was like, wow, right? I'm, like, kind of shocked that it sounds that good. And so I followed it back to where it came from. And he was in a band called The Zoo in Manila. And then I found 40 clips of him singing like everything you could imagine from Zep stuff to Steven Tyler, uh, Sting, Steve Perry. You know, I mean, Nacking Cole, he could do it like all. And it was really crazy. It was like he could morph his voice into sounding completely yeah. different. I don't know if you've heard, we, we did a, a version of uh, Synchronicity 2 for, for the benefit of, of rock against I didn't human trafficking. Really? And it actually, it, it was in 27 in the charts last week, I believe. I'll have to check out. This is fairly new. Yeah. And yeah. He sounds like Sting? Completely. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's mind-effing. Because that's the real. thing with Arnell. It's like he doesn't just sound like Steve. He embodies... Steve's like you mentioned his smoothness like he he you close your eyes there's not a difference it's very amazing how he can do that and also it's, as a front man too with his energy <laughs> which is rare also he's right? he's all over the place man <laughs> and you know um so anyway like I I listened to at the end of listening to all this stuff at the time I was like really into motorcycles I think I had seven I own seven like Harleys you know and I go I'm gonna go on a long ride and come back because I'm just burnt out. And I think that what I'm hearing is just not even <laughs> it's not real, good. you know? Yeah. So I, I went out and took a ride for a couple hours and, you know, cleared my head. And I came back and I listened to it again. And I go, man, it's, it is that good. You know, he was that good. Like, and I was just like, this is insane, I think. You know, he was a chameleon mm. of all voices. And I personally like the fact that he was from Manila mm -hmm. as opposed to L.A. or New York. And so I called Jonathan that, that night. Uh, and I think I woke him up, man. It was like, you know, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning or something. I said, yo, man, I go, check this guy out. I think I found the guy. And he goes, really, where'd you find him? <laughs> and, and I said, well, I sent you the link. Just check it out. And so... He listened to it, and I, I don't believe he was sold at first, you know. And it's I called management yeah. as well. And um, I remember John Barrick is like was our day-to-day -day guy, and Irving Azoff was like, you know, the, the main guy. And and um, I remember calling John Barrick and telling him I found the guy, and uh, he goes, "Oh, great! So, where's he from? L.A. or New York?" And I go. Johnny's in Manila and he starts hysterically laughing like I'm out of my freaking mind. Right. 
and he takes the phone in to Irving. He goes, Irving, you're going to die. He goes, Neil <laughs> says he found like the singer and he's laughing like hell. I'm like, he, you guys are out of your mind. I go, I go, okay. He call me crazy, whatever you want. You know, <laughs> I'm out of my mind. You go, you go and listen to him. And your job is going to be to get him over here. Cause I know it's not any easy feat, you know, from Manila, you could, some families are trying to get family members. It can take five years, right. 10 years. It's not easy. And so they managed, they got it together. Arnell was over within, I think, three months, three and a half months. It's Irving Azoff for you. Right. <laughs> and, and so we, we uh, in the meantime, he cuts his deal with Walmart, right, to redo. They want us to redo the greatest hits. And I'm like, I don't want to redo the greatest hits. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? That's like, you know, committing yeah. suicide. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like... No, that's all they want. They only want the greatest hits. So I started out with, I thought about it for a while. And this is myself and management. We go back and forth and back and forth. And I don't always just jump anymore when somebody says of course. something. So I went, how about we we do a few new songs? And then I'm starting to consider it, you know, um, even though I didn't want to do it. And yeah, I'm sure we can do that. Then I go, after Arnell came out, I said, I want to do a whole record, right? And they, they agreed, as long as we have our, great, our redo of The Greatest Hits over here. Right. Then I said, okay, I want to do a whole nother CD. And I looked at it like, well, you know what? This is not such a bad idea. It's not like you're ever going to outdo the original mm -hmm. versions. But I got to tell you, I was even in the studio with Randy Jackson. Uh, I walked into the studio. I was with Kevin Shirley in Vegas mixing the new separate ways, right? And Kevin was going back. Kevin Shirley was going back and forth from the original mix to the mix that we were doing. And he was dialing everything to make it sound the same. So Randy walked in the room and he was listening and he goes, wow, man. Yo, what are you doing, dog? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he started listening and he goes, my God, oh my God. He goes, that's insane, right? And so I go, okay, pick which one, who's who, Randy, right? And he actually picked Arnell. As he thought the that original. was the original. Wow. Um, but I, I said, I go, you know, this is not a bad idea because now before going out on a tour and having to prove ourselves that he can do this right. stuff. We, we have a record, but we yeah. have a brand new record, too. And then we had we added, you know, a short, I think, a 60-minute DVD. Video. On th yeah. yeah. And so it, it worked in our favor. It worked hugely because I would say now in 2018, maybe the heyday of 1981, and maybe it's just because I was a kid remembering it, your band might be bigger now than you've ever been. I Well, I think the music is. Yeah. You know? The legacy. Uh, the legacy yeah. is. And the young fans are there. And I think it's, it's you know, you got to give credit where credit is due, man. Uh, you know, a lot of it had to do with Steve. A lot of it had to do with, with us mm -hmm. and the co-writing and everything that we did from the second. You'll see tonight when we play Lights, man, that is like the new 
freaking anthem. And everybody goes, wait a minute. It was always an anthem. I go, yeah, but now it's insane. You know, I mean, it's just. But I also told you when my son was listening to, what do you listen to? I'm listening to Journey. What song? City of Hope. Really? <laughs> Once again, it's a 15-year-old kid listening to City of Hope. How did you hear that song, Ash? Uh, something, I, I went down the wormhole. I heard one song on whatever it was, YouTube or iTunes, and found this one, found this one. These kids don't know the difference between the Steve Perry, Arnell Pineda, you know, uh, Steve O'Jerry. They just know his journey, right? And, and, you know, and I believe very much so your son is very much like probably 80 to 85% right. of the kids out there because they don't know the comparison they of who's the who. right. They, they'd rather hear new stuff, too. Yeah. Because some of the new stuff we cranked out is really it's pretty cranking, damn good. Man. Yeah. And it was damn good. But the majority of the crowd that comes to this show tonight that's doing really well, right, is Def Leppard and Journey. They want to hear classic of course. Of course. rock and roll. Of course. And all it's an all-hit show. Yeah. And so the only stepping out that, that I do, I mean, I get to play a lot. But, you know, I do a, a solo. Smith does a solo. Jonathan does a solo. And that's sort of like your super creative section yeah. that you get to change up night to night yeah, yeah, yeah. to do anything that you want to do, you know. And the rest of it, they're, they're songs that everybody wants to hear. Last couple of questions for you. Um, and this is very timely because it just happened over the last week or so. The the kind of like this surprise Steve Perry, he's got a video and he's got the new record. And I had seen something that you had said a few months ago that you'd like to work with him again. Obviously, journey's journey. But would you do something with Steve just as Sean and, and Steve getting together to, to do Our something? Perry and Sean. Yes, yeah, Perry and Sean. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been saying that for a long time. Um, and, you know, um, I had to set... Uh, uh, was what was what was the uh, uh, classic rock magazine? Magazine, England, yeah, yeah. They came with the thing the other day, and the article is actually very good and and positive. But they had to put a title on it, of course, right? That that's going to make the Google go <laughs> yeah, boom and drive bait. like a mother. What was you it? Know? What and was so the headline? They, they said. Um, that Neil Sean, like something like he he single handedly shoots down a journey reunion with Steve Perry, right? Yeah, yeah. And I go, so I got I I actually when I first read it, I read the story and I didn't look so much at you know the caption on yeah. top, and so I posted it real fast because I was doing a lot of like reposting. You're very Perry's. you're very active on social media. You know what? I found that I, I have to be in some instances of different situations that have occurred in the last couple of years. And, you know, I really, I was kind of standing there by myself, man, and I had nobody helping me or wanting to. And so I went, I really, you know, I need to speak my mind mm -hmm. and I need to tell people where I'm really coming from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my fans, they love that about me now that I'm just no bullshit. Yeah. I'm going to call it like it is, you know, <laughs> and it's the way I've always been. So I go, why change, man? And, you know, people like to, they take jobs. Like, why do you have to take it up on here? Because the whole world sees. And I go, that's, that's the reason. Because you know what? I'm not lying. It's when you're not point. lying, you don't care yeah. how many people hear it. Man. Uh -huh. You know, I don't have to make up a new story yeah. every time I tell the story because I can't remember right. the last lie that I, I told, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
And so I, it's working for me, mm-hmm. man. And I used it today on them, and I had a go at them. They wrote me back immediately. You can look at it and go, what? You just reposted. Is this the story you're talking about openly, yeah. right? Not to me, <laughs> privately. And then I had another go at him, and I said, yeah, but this is what you did wrong. And, you know, yes, while it was a positive story, a lot of people don't get past the headline. Mm-hmm. They just read the headline, and then they assume that I'm an a-hole, and I'm the one that's not going to allow Steve to do this. I said, I'm just clarifying that he's been saying for years that he doesn't want to go back. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the door has always been open. You know, we've I've made it more than clear. So is everybody. But you know, I understand he it's he doesn't want to go back. Let's also be honest too. I mean, I'm not saying anything against Steve, but you're talking about a guy who was singing these crazy melody lines in 19. Like, dude, I'm a singer. You, you, those are hard songs to sing when you're 30. 40, 50, 60. It's it's like it's like people still pissed off that Ace Frehley's on Kiss. Ace couldn't do that gig anymore it's a different guy that yeah. doesn't mean that you guys still can't be friends and do something else which right. might be amazing maybe a lower register or maybe more bluesier or i don't I know th- i think is the what i heard off his new record the new song i think it sounds great he does man. sound great he you does know? sound great yeah. i mean i think i'm like really just happy to hear his voice yeah, again me too. because i gotta tell you between steve perry I mean, I've I've listened to a lot of really great singers and worked with a lot of really great singers from Paul Rogers, Sammy Hagar, a lot of people, yeah. man, and 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 then appreciated so many great singers in R and B genre or the soul genre, mm-hmm. you know, and Steve Perry and Aretha Franklin, man, it's like, psh. dude, we were talking about Aretha, greatest female singer of all time. And, and possibly always will be, and possibly like, Steve Perry might be the greatest male singer of all time. If you want to go for that's what I'm saying, right, right. And so you know, I was happy to see we had a very cool meeting when we went for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and that was um, awesome. It's because my wife was really persistent. <laughs> we were backstage, and everybody's nerves were like, like it was a big night, you know? Yeah. We hadn't seen each other in a long time, and everybody's going, oh, man, what's this going to be like? And I held out for the last minute to sign a contract because I wanted Greg to be there, and I wanted Ainsley to be there. And, and you know, I thought that was the only way to do it mm-hmm. rather than the way it was going to go down. And so I had a lot of people pissed off with me. Uh, to the last minute, but it went down. And then and because they were pissed off, there was a lot of edgy sh- feelings going on backstage, too. And so um, we're we're sitting back there waiting uh, for the evening to start. And um, Mikel goes, you know what? We're going to go down there. We're going to knock on his door. Right? And I go... On Steve's door? Yeah. yeah. And I go, no, I'm not going. I'm sorry. <laughs> Typical said, no, dude, right? Fuck that. I'm not doing that, Mikel. He's not going to come. I'm not going to do it tonight. Tonight's a really big night. I'm really nervous. I don't want to f-ing do that tonight. Please. I go, you know, stop. <laughs> <laughs> she insisted. And lo and behold, you know, um, we went down there and he saw me. He wanted, you know, once he, he saw that it was genuine, we, it was very, very moving. You know, for both of us. And um, then everybody else wanted to do the same afterwards. But, you know, it's kind of, I knew that, you know, we were 
not too far from where we started, you know. And um, so I'm really, you know, I'm excited for him. Most of all, that he's getting back out there because he's been away way too long mm -hmm. and he's too great of an artist. But, you know, he says some very kind stuff about me, too, that, you know, and the artwork on the cover, you know, everybody was like blowing up my phone mm -hmm. about that. Dude, did you see the white strap with the white dub sitting oh. on top of the neck with the grapevines coming down? That's signifying the you? Or maybe okay. that's that's symbolically what saying, gotcha. you know, and when you look at the album cover and you see all the hidden things that are in there, boy, that's it's cool. it's deep. You know, you it's know? funny. I, I've had this with with guys that I used to have issues with twenty years ago, and we're all older now. And you're like, what the f are we so angry about each other? Yeah. For anyways, and the bottom line is just rekindling the friendship man just that's that you guys created exactly. history together you know history that people will never forget a thousand years from now it's cool i'm excited to see people excited for him mm -hmm. and and um i'm excited for him for real you guys created uh, one of the biggest songs of all time i actually did dancing with the stars a few years ago and the song that I got kicked off on was Don't Stop Believing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. You did, really? Thank you. For, uh, we had to get permission to use it, so whoever your guys let us use it. But um, that is one of the most endearing, biggest songs of all time. You play it every night. People want to sing it. They want to, like, dude, that's, that's like Stairway to Heaven type shit. It's crazy. You're going to see the audience sings louder than the band yeah. is. Um, you know, I... The only thing is, I got to tell you, honestly, I, I actually prefer playing first <laughs> than, you know, we flip flop from night With to night. Def Leppard, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's for no other reason, but they play way louder than we do, <laughs> you know? And the other night when we went out, last night we we um, we played first and it was a really great show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of nights before that, uh, I remember going out and we hit the first song and everybody was like, <laughs> they looked like they were comatose out there, like so beat up by DB level and, and and the subs, you know. They got a lot of subs in this PA. This is their PA. It would not be the PA of my choice for, right, 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 for Journey, right. you know. We don't need all the subs. <laughs> Last question. What's your favorite solo that you like to play live? Oh, wow. I, I like playing lights because it's bluesy, you know. Um, Great solo. You know, they're... They're all fun to play, but um, I I sort of like the bluesier stuff that we don't do that much of. So if I have a chance to play blues, because those are really my roots, the R&B and the blues, mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't know. So, yeah, I'd love to do an R&B and blues record with Steve. But that's that's what I enjoy playing. That's cool, man. Well, maybe uh, next time we can do a part two and we can talk about uh, Hardline and Bad English and SS, HSAS. And we can go for another five <laughs> yeah. hours. Neil, thank you so much, man. We yes. made it work. Thank you, Mikhail. Yes. Thank you, guys. Have a great show tonight. Neil, Sean, and Journey are on the road with Def Leppard, co-headlining tour of two of the best rock and roll bands in history. The bands rotate on who closes out the show each night when I saw them in Tampa. Journey closed, and uh, they were incredible. The next leg of dates start on September 18th at Albuquerque, New Mexico, and goes all the way in early October. Journeymusic.com has all the dates and ticket information. you got to see Journey and Def Leppard, and if you haven't, uh, both bands kill it every night. sound fantastic. And Neil steals the show. He's such a great musician. Uh, Phil Collin, another great guitar player. Vivian Campbell, amazing. Steve Smith does an awesome 
uh, a drum solo, which uh, which I wasn't expecting. So lots of great stuff. You definitely get the best bang of, uh, for your buck. And thanks, Daniel Sean, once again for joining me. Uh, so excited to see what happens in Journey's future. All right. And speaking of the future, uh, Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea is very near in the future. Uh, six weeks away. We're setting sail October 27th, and there are less than 75 cabins left. So you'll have to book now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com if you want to come hang out on the ship with an incredible lineup of talent. And remember, everything is included in the price of your cabin once you book. All your food, all activities on the ship free. Live podcasts, concerts, comedy shows, meet and greets, autograph signings, and wrestling matches. As we know, the big main event, the Alpha Club versus the Bullet Club, the Bucks of Jericho, or is it Y2 Jackson versus Kenny Omega, uh, Marty Skrull and Cody. Kenny had some big words for me, uh, what he's going to do to me on the uh, on the cruise. I believe he's going to swab the poop deck with my stringy hair. Go to Chris Jericho Fozzi on Instagram to see all that information. You don't want to miss that. Also, Impact versus Ring of Honor. First time ever. Callahan versus Skrull. LAX versus the Young Bucks. Another big 10-man tag brewing, I can tell. John Morrison, Johnny Mundo has challenged the Bullet Club. Who's going to join him? How about live talk is Jericho with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, with Eddie, uh, Talking about Eddie Guerrero with Conan and Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, another with the entire Bullet Club. Another with Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. How about Mick Foley doing his 20 years of hell stand-up show? Beyond the darkness, scaring the pants off of you. Keep it at 100 versus Killing the Town. Callus versus Conan. Lazenby versus Disco. Uh, Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler uh, live with JR and the King on the ship as well. And the first round of the Ring of Honor, Sea of Honor tournament has been announced. Bracket A, Lethal versus Whitmer. Daniels versus Delirious. Skrull versus Titus. Young versus Flip Gordon, not Flip Wilson. Bracket B, Briscoe versus Ferrara. Adam Page versus Kazarian. Cheeseburger versus Beer City Bruiser. Jay Briscoe versus Kenny King. Uh, so much going on. Like I'm telling you, I can't even name anybody. Dave LaGreca from Busted Open will be the live comedy. Brad Williams, Craig Gass, Ron Funches, Impractical Jokers, Mandy Leon, Kelly Klein, Sumi Sakai, Brandy Rhodes are going to be there, the, the, the women of honor. we got the, the, the darlings of rock and roll. The Cherry Bombs are there. They are amazing. Uh, we got Noel Foley. we got uh, SoCal Val. we got uh, rock and roll, Corey Taylor, Phil Campbell, the Bastard Sons. Fozzie's going to be playing three sets, special sets. King, the Stir. Uh, the Dave Spivak Project's going to be there. Uh, Shoot to Thrill, the world's best female ACDC cover band. They may or may not be joining us in Charlotte for a little bit of a jam. Blizzard of Ozzy's going to be there. So much going on. Someone said today, are there going to be any more people added? Who else can I add? I've got everybody. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Only 75 cabins left. Don't get left out. Book your cabin now. Be a part of history. All right. And also, coming up on Friday, speaking of history, Macaulay Culkin is going to be here, and he's wearing rabbit ears. He's wearing bunny ears. Check it out on Friday to understand what that means. Macaulay's going to be talking about being a child actor in Hollywood, filming Home Alone, while he still gets phone calls about the movie My Girl. He's a huge wrestling fan. His fave wrestlers matches, pay-per-views, who he still hopes to meet one day. He's super charismatic, super funny. Macaulay Culkin's going to be here with his partner talking all about their Bunny Ears podcast and everything in between. Do not miss this. Who gives you the A-listers, baby? It's not just wrestling. It's not just rock and roll. It's not just Hollywood. It's everything in between. I'm about ready to have a heart attack, so I'm going to go. But in the meantime, in between time, we'll see you on Friday. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And a big, yeah, boy. Yeah.